Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to the Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I'm a professor at Grove City College in Pennsylvania, and I'm here with my usual co-hosts, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian, and Todd Pruitt, PCA pastor from Harrisonburg in Virginia. And today we're going to be answering some listeners' questions. Amy, I believe that uh, you've been receiving some questions from... Numerous individuals that uh, we are supposed I to have. address in this yeah, program. Yeah, I think I've got a real deep one here that just came in. Um, oh, good. I asked some people on Twitter to give us some feedback while we were recording, and I just had to put my glasses on for this one. Cause yeah, you're looking very... It helps me think better. Librarian slash yeah. school mm-hmm. It helps yes, me to yeah. think better. I'm smarter with my glasses on. You are. Yeah, I know. It's setting the bar pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one is from a, a Scott S. Scott uh, S. Okay. Yes, it's from the Orlando area. Huh. I, yeah. I he has a friend who's got a problem, does he? He's got a friend. <laughs> and Scott S. from Orlando. He mm. wants us okay. to address uh, what he would call peanut butter heresies Ooh. in our group. Um, and I, I do believe he's referring to the fact that I, a couple years ago, tweeted that on the new heavens and the new earth, mm-hmm. there will be crunchy peanut butter. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, what are your do you are you guys crunchy or creamy guys? Well, let me let me say before we deal with that that this Scott S mm-hmm. whoever he is in Orlando He sounds kind of important. Well, but the, the 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 sad thing is is that his question is so fundamentally shallow. Oh, you'd I hope, think this is a deep theological No, no, matter. no. You'd, you'd hope that, that somebody would have a little bit more theological acumen who listens to our program. No, no. Um, I'm disagreeing. This is, this is serious. Mm, I'm, We've well, been actually battling on this matter for probably two years now. Interesting. I don't like peanut butter, so... What wow. the heck? Well, the issue then is either there will be no wow. peanut butter in the new heavens I, and the earth, or I, thought I will I be knew so you. transformed that I will actually like peanut butter. <laughs> and, uh, it's the Option B, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I like yeah. peanuts. I just don't like them pureed and... Ugh. No, it's just not very nice. <laughs> mm, you don't like the... Uh, the emulsified it's like the worst answer uh, peanuts, ever. Yeah. Mm. No. Peanut butter is like one of the best things. Mm. Yeah, I, I prefer smooth, but but I like crunchy also. Do, do you do different types for different things? Um, yeah, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. Um, yeah, I, I would see that a little mm-hmm. more. Yeah, and and but I I think crunchy is perfectly acceptable. So Scott S. in Orlando, um, it appears that you work at some sort of a, a an institution of higher learning. Anyway, Scott, we, we want you to know that we believe that um, your solution to the peanut butter issue is is rather shallow. We think that there's room for both in, in the new creation. And, and I would just suggest, you know, maybe pick up a good book or two on theology. Yeah. Read up a little bit, and that'll probably help mm-hmm. you out. And then he'll learn how to apply that yes. to, to, yes. to real-world yes. stuff uh-huh. like peanut butter. Right, right. Okay. Well, here's one that was emailed in. Um, Thank you for the podcast. Enjoy listening. A topic that I would like to hear discussed in detail would be when to leave a church, church membership Mm. as a covenant, 
And the role of the pastor and the elder, i.e. their conduct, treatment of members, etc. Tough questions when maybe core doctrines aren't the issue, rather actions and behavior of leadership is the issue. Mm. I often hear how members treat their pastor, but not too much about how leadership treats members. Thanks so much, Rodney. Do the people who... Email in, tell us how much they donate to the podcast. Okay. No, they that don't, might they shape don't how much that. brain power and time I'm willing to devote to requesting. <laughs> Nor do a, they say their peanut butter preferences, which I, think I might include for them to... That's do. a really good question. It is. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that. It would depend on the precise circumstances. Mm-hmm. My, my thoughts would be, the default should always be to stay in a church when you've taken membership vows. Right. The default should always be to stay in a church. I could envisage a situation where matters develop to such a point that it is it's harmful or counterproductive to stay in the church that may not relate precisely to doctrines that are held. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the preaching is just terribly, terribly bad. Perhaps yeah. some of the people there are behaving in ways that are very, well, very egregious. Well, that's when he's particularly addressing like behavior uh, from the leadership. Yeah. yeah, I think that that becomes problematic. And we've seen in, in the young restless and reform circles, yes. we've mm-hmm. seen churches that frankly have a, a cult-like feel mm-hmm. to the way yep. leadership is, is considered and members are treated. Yeah. And that, I think, is is problematic. We mm-hmm. shouldn't prioritize doctrine over everything. The, the New Testament lays out clear qualifications for eldership. And I think uh, a dictatorial mm-hmm. leader, a cult-like leader, yeah. is, is disqualified from office mm-hmm. in, in, in a sense. Now, how that works out in any given situation, how one discerns that, mm-hmm. that's a much more difficult question mm-hmm. to answer. Yeah, I would, I would beware of, of any church that's led by a movement leader. In other words, you know, the kind of a, uh, uh, a an entrepreneur who has founded his own movement and from that has come a church. I'd say there's some danger signs there. Um, uh, and, and as Carl, as you mentioned, just some things that we've seen over the last five years or so. Yeah. Um, there's some pretty straightforward thing. I mean, things like, for example, are you aware of what the budget of the right, church is? Right. You know, uh, is there basic transparency right. in the way that the church operates? Yep. There could be warning signs. Exactly. You know, are, are the church's hiring practices understood by the congregation? Um, I know of a, uh, of a very, very large church in, uh, in North Carolina that's uh, affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention that um, church members are, are told basically very clearly that none of that sort of information is ever going to be made known to them. Um, uh, That's always a bad, a bad warning. It is. Sign. It's a bad warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're told that uh, that they must uh, quote you know respect um, and follow uh, the, uh, the 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 visioneer of the church, the pastor. These kinds of things. Um, so if you hear this kind of thing coming from a pastor, it, it's not good. Now certainly we know from scripture that um, uh, we are to submit ourselves to the elders of the church. But that, that's not unqualified. Um, there are other passages, mm-hmm. right. passages of Scripture which teach um, the kinds of qualities that elders are to embody. Mm-hmm. And also we know that elders are not unaccountable people. Um, there are, there's accountability. And, and I know in, in the polity that I'm a part of, um, in, in the PCA, there, there are, when, when it's practiced, it works really, really well. Uh, it provides 
accountability for pastors. It provides protection for pastors against bad churches and protection for churches against bad pastors. Mm-hmm. And um, if, you're, if you're in a church or a denomination that doesn't provide any of that, I guess my question would be, why are you in a church like that? Given what we know about human nature, given what we know that oftentimes the pastorate can attract megalomaniacs, why would you be in a church that doesn't provide good accountability mm-hmm. um, for yeah, your pastor? And when you see the qualifications for an elder listed in yep. First Timothy, I mean, clearly behavior is, yep. is, is very important. Character absolutely. is very important. It, absolutely. And so, again, Carl's point, it should be taken very seriously. Don't get mad because and, and leave because, you know, they built a couple more classrooms than you thought were needed on the new educational wing. You know, don't leave for things like that. Um, but if if um, if there's ungodliness from the leadership, abusiveness, unaccountability, lack of transparency, and, and they refuse any um, correction on that, then that's problematic. Um mm-hmm. Depending on the circumstances, uh, you know, I don't know, but but certainly the, those kinds of things can rise to a level that being a part of it is not healthy anymore. And I would add, try to leave graciously, yes, right. transparently, yeah. yes. And typically, if you try to leave graciously and transparently, and it turns nasty, mm-hmm. that's another warning sign. Right, that, it's that validation. Right. Maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not don't right. take to social media and mm-hmm. criticize your pastor. Don't take to social media and criticize that church. Be gracious. God is just. Trust him. Um, you don't have to to try to single-handedly fix what's wrong at that church. Well, before I move to the next question, Carl's answer about the peanut butter still really bothered me. So I have another question. <laughs> like, do you like peanut butter flavored things? I like what? peanuts. But like, you know, peanut butter pie. No. Reese's peanut, peanut butter, butter cookies. Cups. Oh, no, they're disgusting. Peanut butter oh, cookies? Oh, my goodness. Whoa. So, peanut butter cookies? Peanut butter crackers? Uh, I, I will eat a peanut butter cookie if I pick it up by accident, but I would never choose <laughs> to eat one. No, I these don't are, understand this. Wow. No, these are, I don't know. These are, I think, probably invented in America because most mediocre. Well, that would be. No, 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 no. Yeah, I would certainly rank peanut butter products above Cheese Whiz. Carl, I would as, say I'd oh rank them above Cheese goodness. Whiz. Carl, as, as a son of the British Isles, I believe. The, um, the culture that gave us jellied eels. Ew. For you to stand in judgment of American cuisine is a little, little sketchy. Jellied eels were given to you by the English working class. I am of the English middle class. Do not, do not pin the crimes of the proletariat mm-hmm. on me. I'm a uh-huh. representative of the bourgeoisie. Jellied here. eels, mushy peas. Uh-huh. Thank you, Great Britain. Yeah. So you didn't eat peanut butter and jelly when you were a kid? No. Oh, I, my goodness. I like jam sandwiches. I, I still jam like jam sandwiches. sandwiches. Oh, no. no. Peanut butter and jelly. No, it's, it's not nice. It's oh, like, my goodness. No, totally missing nice. something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One word. It, it, Haggis. It explains your hey, crankiness I, in a disli- lot. In disliking peanut butter, I'm not making the case for British cuisine. <laughs> I know, but, but <laughs> you started to get into America about our yeah, mediocre cuisine. Well, you know, I, and, and let me just say this. We just left a restaurant here in western Pennsylvania called Primanti Brothers, where they take pastrami and cheese and then pile french fries on top of it and in the sandwich. Yeah. And how dare you say anything negative about American cuisine, mister? Hey, <laughs> chip butties, as we call them, are a British invention. The idea of putting fries between two pieces of bread 
That's British. I don't even want to know what you call that again. I, I just <laughs> chip butty. Yeah, I, I asked you not to. Yeah, don't don't do that. <laughs> oh man, okay. the listeners now know what I have to put up. With right <laughs> oh. Next listener question, please. I, I'm going to yeah. move Scott on. S, whoever you are, we're coming after you at this point. You know, I did notice that my Hershey. Kiss supply was diminishing over here I'm mysteriously. Taking I'm taking them. Yeah. <laughs> Chipped buddies. Okay. Okay. It's as bothered as I am, I'm gonna try to press forward here, even though all I can think about in the back of my head is Carl's peanut butter Chipped problem. Chipped buddies. It's not a problem. Okay. <laughs> Moving to Twitter. <laughs> uh, Pierce says, Hey Amy, here's one that just came up for discussion in our minivan with a three year old. How do you talk about death and heaven with little kids, especially when they're terrified of being separated from their parents? All of this with theological and biblical felicity. Mm. Well, first of all, I think it's very difficult to talk to three-year-olds about abstract concepts. Mm -hmm. Katrina, I assisted my wife for some years teaching the the pre-K Sunday school at our church, and Katrina, my wife, has taught the pre-K Sunday school for many, many years and taught pre-K school as well. And she would tell you that it is difficult, if yes. not impossible, to get three-year-olds to think in abstract concepts. Yeah, and I would say, true. when you think about death, it's hard enough as an adult to conceptualize right. death. Right. Uh, if I can quote Wittgenstein at this point. <laughs> I was hoping you would. Because a three-year-old's going to want you to. Death is not an event in life. That's a very profound saying. It's very difficult to think because there is no analogy. Mm-hmm. So first thing I would say is you need to set the bar very low. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I would suggest that you don't talk about separation from mum and dad because right. in, in heaven, if children are Christians, you're a Christian, you should mm-hmm. not be separated right. uh, from them. So those would be my two mm-hmm. thoughts. One, death is an abstract concept. It's hard enough to grasp as an adult. Do not expect yeah. your three-year-old yeah. child. I thought you and would have given your graveyard speech. <laughs> well, I would, add, I would add, I don't think there's really any reason to talk to a three-year-old about death to begin with. Um, unless what if they're asking questions, uh, unless they are some some circumstances come up and yeah. and it's pressed upon you, and and then as Carl said, I I would address it in a as general a way as possible because the idea of separation that would that causes a child so much anxiety. And again, the the other thing we have to realize is that we're in a culture where our young ones are not regularly exposed to death. Well, that's what I was going to say, because, I mean, even the way we pray with our kids, I grew up with the, now I lay mm-hmm. me down to sleep, I mm-hmm. pray the Lord my soul to keep. Mm-hmm. If I die before I right, wake, right. <laughs> I pray the Lord my soul. Terrifying prayer, sure, you know? Sure. And yeah. so parents my age, I think, realize, whoa, our parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I do think that we shelter them, They're, our children, a little too yeah, much, maybe, yeah, and, from and these it, ideas, yeah, and again, from, from reality. Well, and, and part of it is just life is so different. So life expectancies are longer. Um, uh, you know, yeah, They don't a, see a, a childhood family, death as much. Yeah, a family doesn't have to have 11 kids because at least half of them are probably going to die. Kids aren't regularly seeing farm animals die, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things. And so it, it becomes, Graveyard in that way, a much more mm-hmm. difficult yeah concept to grasp today you know than it was 100 and 200 and 300 mm-hmm. years ago i mean if if i had a three-year-old ask me about death a three-year-old mm-hmm. i'd probably say you know what that is nothing you have to worry about right now precisely going back to carl's point it's too abstract for a child that young to even conceptualize it well mm-hmm. and um I wouldn't want a three-year-old struggling with that mm-hmm. if I could help it at all. Now, a six-year-old is different. A seven-year-old yeah. is different. You have to be, 
You're going to have to talk about, yeah, exactly. A family pet dies, grandma dies, Mm -hmm. in some cases, mom or dad dies. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so how do do we want to talk about it? Let's do this. Let's imagine the six-year-old, the seven-year-old, the eight-year-old. Now, how does that change the equation? Well, and I think one thing that is positively needs to be taught from the beginning, too, is presence with the Lord. Absolutely. Especially when you're talking about separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that was one thing Mm -hmm. uh, we brought up early when the kids had separation anxiety, too, is that you're not fully alone. No, you're not. You're not alone. You're not separated. But so, yeah, you have to emphasize that. But but again, let's bring that out of the realm of the three-year-old on up to the six-year-old, the seven-year-old, the eight-year-old. Now, how do you start to have that concept? So Mm -hmm. uh, your your seven-year-old's grandparent died. Mm Mm-hmm. And now he or she is terrified that you, their, their mommy or their daddy, are going to die. Mm-hmm. How do you talk to that six, seven, or eight-year-old about mm-hmm. that? Well, uh, this sounds like a cop-out, but I think it depends on the precise situation. It does. It does. That's not a cop-out. particular context. Yeah. So it's very, very difficult to give general, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To give general advice. Mm-hmm. Because if grandmother dies, it is different to mother dying. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and I think you need to know the child. Yeah. You need to know the stresses and strains mm-hmm. in the particular context. Mm-hmm. And deal with it in those terms. Right. And so if the child, you've just gone to grandma's funeral yeah. and you can tell the child has a lot, is experiencing lots of anxiety. And, yeah. and again, we're assuming a Christian yeah. home here Yeah. and the child is having lots of anxiety. And as you dig a little bit deep, you realize the source of the anguish is now, now what if this happens to mom or dad mm-hmm. next week? Yeah. What, what do you say to him? What do you say to her? I mean, those are tough talks, you know, yeah. and yeah. we were blessed to not, I, my Grandmother didn't even pass away until mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, yeah. like my first grandparent. Um, but I do think that early in a Christian home, you already start learning about the fall uh-huh. in theology. And you, I mean, in early Sunday school classes mm-hmm. and that death is a result of the fall. Yep. And so I think it's very important to be theologically astute according yep. to their grade, you know, in their mm-hmm. maturity sure. level to, sure. um, you know, death should not be. Right. Talk to them. That was my thought. Talk to them first of all about where it comes from. Why, why do things die? Mm-hmm. That it wasn't supposed to be that way. And you know what? Jesus died and rose again mm-hmm. um, to reverse that. Mm-hmm. And there's also, I think, a non-spiritual dimension to this. You need to reassure the child that they will be looked after. Yes. Yes. You know, I remember That's my parents point. telling me. My parents are not Christians, but mm-hmm. my parents telling me, you know, we've made sure that if anything ever happened to us, your aunt and uncle will look mm-hmm. after you. That's, you know, you don't have to worry that, that you'll be all on your Security, own. Right. So I think that that's, an as- that's not mm-hmm. a particularly distinctively Christian aspect mm-hmm. to it, but I think that's part of reassuring the right. child. You're not going to be all on your own mm-hmm. in the world. You know, my great nightmare as a kid was, you know, am I going to, you know, if my parents die, will it be like Oliver Twist? Yeah. Will I be yeah. in the workhouse? Mm-hmm. That kind yeah. of thing. And, and the answer is no. We, we make arrangements so right. that you will be looked for after and cared for. Right. And... We have to say that when you're dealing with a child, and you know, not just children, what's uppermost in that child's mind is is not thoughts about the age to come. It it, it goes back to things like, "What will I do without mom here?" Mm-hmm. Or, or or what's going to happen to yeah. us? And so, it, you have to address both of those things. Yeah. You want to begin already pointing them towards the hope that we have in Christ, yeah. and at the same time, letting them know that as a responsible adult, you're going to provide for them as well. So we'll be loving people to care yes. for Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think we could talk more about that one, but since we're trying to get through a couple of these, um, this is an email one. 
What should be the proper practice of an author, blogger, or podcast host who criticizes a doctrinal view or practice of another Christian? Is it common to first contact the other person to accurately understand the view of another person or to better understand a situation before criticizing it? I'm thinking here of the Trinity debate a few years back, among many other examples, where writers would quote a particular author of something that was written 30 years ago. I often wondered, what if the person has changed his or her opinion since then? I also think of Amy's recent experience of the comments made of her most recent book without even knowing what she actually said. My concern here is how easy it is to misrepresent or even disparage another believer without better understanding their viewpoint or situation. What is the common protocol mm-hmm. in these situations, and what should it actually be? Thanks for all you do to produce such a great podcast. Well, if I if I could take Carl's um, tack here and just say it depends on the situation, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but it, it does it does yeah. um, because um, I, so, so for instance, if if a if a member of my church had an errant theological view, mm-hmm. I wouldn't blog about it, right? Or I wouldn't you know I, I would make no public announcements about it. Mm-hmm. However, if um, someone of influence in the church, and I mean, you know, the church, if someone who influences Christians, either through their writing or preaching or whatever, um, advances error mm-hmm. publicly, then public response is not just appropriate, it, it's, it's needed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus modeled this, the apostles modeled, modeled this, the prophets modeled this. Um, it's amazing how often we have to say this. I'm just astonished at how this is apparently not understood. The other thing I would want to say about the Trinity debate specifically is that these were views uh, that were well-known among some people, scholars and, and pastors, but the problem where, for instance, where we finally decided to start weighing in on it publicly and calling out some well-known and well-liked people, the reason why we did that is because those views had become so kind of uncritically accepted and they weren't responding to the published critique and there had been published uh responses critiques private uh, private um uh, in in academic Mm -hmm. uh, gatherings there there were critiques offered and there was never any sign that those views were going to be altered or abandoned in fact there was a doubling down on them right and so um it was very appropriate and Mm -hmm. in fact i would say the public uh, critique was long overdue on that particular issue. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, sometimes that someone has written something a while ago and, and I might see it uh-huh. and I might wonder, is mm-hmm. that still really what they hold? Right. You know, it might not be yep. a major part of their teaching. Mm-hmm. And in that case, I think that email makes some sense to, to contact that person and ask them. Definitely. And mm-hmm. I've appreciated people doing that with me. Yes. Because, um, I, listen, uh, th- there were things I... I said when I was a youth director, <laughs> nothing heresy, but certainly some things that were just wrong mm-hmm. that or, I cringe. Some people's views yeah. may change on right. a certain issue. Yep. And if there's other times where while you don't need to check with them first, mm-hmm. it might be good to mm-hmm. good to do to get better understanding. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean since it's, it's already published, right. you know, you and, can and I, I publicly as well, respond. There's a distinction to be made, which is often forgotten today, between critiquing somebody's views and critiquing their motives for holding yes. their views. Yeah, yes. and, and a lot of people don't really, you know, when you criticize, you know, we criticize Wayne Grudem for his, right. frankly, atrocious doctrine of the Trinity. Yes. That's not saying that Wayne Grudem is a wicked or bad right. person. Right. It's saying that his doctrine of the Trinity is demonstrably 
false. Right. And I think what gets lost in today's world is the separation of the moral quality of a person right. mm -hmm. from a particular view they may mm -hmm. hold or espouse. Right. And, right. and that, I think, you know, in, in the academic world where I operate half the time, mm -hmm. my world operates on the basis of critiquing other mm -hmm. people's ideas. I've never taken it personally when right. somebody happens to disagree mm -hmm. with a scholarly view I hold. That, that's what scholarship is about. When you mm -hmm. write something and put it in the public domain, you are inviting public critique. Right. I have no vested interest in holding an incorrect opinion. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's good if I get pushback. And I've had pushback that has caused me to change my opinion right. mm -hmm. on, on certain things. Yes. The issue of Amy's book, I think, there, when you've got people critiquing a book on the basis of what they've heard. Right. That's buffoonery it, it, and And that violence. happens on social media so yeah, much. They think they know what it's about, it's but they malicious. haven't read it. It's mm -hmm. malicious buffoonery. Right. I remember and somebody emailing me about Amy's book, and I, my, my comment to them back was, well, the difference between me and the person they're alluding to, I said, is that I've actually read the book in manuscript, yeah. and I know what's said. Right. Uh, you know, the fact that Amy's book was already guilty mm -hmm. before the evidence had even arrived in right. the public domain was... That's not scholarly critique. Right. Mm -hmm. That really is uh, a rather idiotic way yeah. and a malicious way mm -hmm. of approaching. approaching and and it's, it concerns me <clears throat> when so many evangelical church members will see the critique, the various critiques of the Trinitarianism of Wayne Grudem and Bruce Ware that were written and cringe and, and, and find that cruel and mean when not a single personal thing was said about those gentlemen once. In fact, there were several cases where there were efforts made to commend them as persons, uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. but it's as though so many people cannot hear the difference right. between a critique of a bad idea mm -hmm. and an attack on a person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Th those are two extremely yeah. different things. And for some reason, yeah. we live in such a sentimental age that people yeah. can't mm -hmm. see the difference. It's interesting that the right are always going on about snowflakes. Yes. But actually, the concept of a snowflake, the hypersensitive person, is no respecter of both political camps. divisions. Right. Both camps today. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, get immediately offended as soon as any idea they hold dear is, is criticized and see it as a personal attack or a right. slight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that culture becomes dominant and controlling, mm -hmm. we're in a really, not only are we in a bad cultural and social situation, we're in a bad theological mm -hmm. situation as right. well because the church depends upon our ability to contest these ideas right. and find out which are the best ideas in order to establish one of the best right. ideas. And, and just before we close this episode out, let me just say this. Um, if anybody thinks that I or my co-hosts ever say or write anything that, oh, they're just not comfortable with the tone, let me just encourage you to do this. Read Paul's letter to the Galatians. Read his personal recommendation to the Judaizers, and then tell me that I have a tone problem. You've not, I don't think, ever Ty, you have called on somebody to, <laughs> you've never called on somebody to castrate themselves. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I, I, am, I am a teddy bear yeah. compared to the Apostle Well, Paul. and I will say, though, with the three of us, too, mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot of behind-the-scenes emailing people. Oh, yes. Um, you know, Absolutely. Not publishing a lot of questions and critiques that we've had on mm -hmm. things and, and, and working through stuff. Yep. And sometimes just choosing, you know, not to – it's just not going to be profitable. Right. Um, right. You do have to be wise on, mm -hmm. on which things. And, you know, it's, it's not always yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, preachers in America – 
provide so much material for rebuke <laughs> that that we could do that 24 hours a day spin. and not, not run out of all the, <laughs> well, the options. Okay, one quick last one because we only have a couple of seconds and we are not getting through all these questions. But keep emailing them if you would like. I, I want to continue to yeah, do this when, when we can. But um, if you've been full-time in ministry for almost five years but have an unaccredited Bible degree, would you consider seminary absolutely necessary, already stretched for time and money? I don't want to use the term absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would say that you need to make heroic effort to get a proper seminary degree. Um, again, I don't want to use the word absolutely, mm-hmm. but I, 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 I would come close to using it. At least like but, continuing education, mm-hmm. you know, like. Yeah. I, I would perhaps be a, a little more, not quite where Todd is. I would say reflect on where your weaknesses in ministry mm-hmm. are and see if there are possibilities for getting continuing education mm-hmm. in those areas to yeah. help you strengthen them. Mm-hmm. Acquiring the biblical languages, yeah. mm-hmm. sharpening up your Old Testament excuses. Yeah. It may be that at your position in life and with the time, finances, etc. available, it's not possible to go to seminary mm-hmm. or even do it part-time online. But there may be areas of your ministry that could benefit. And of course, today you have these great resources, iTunes U. YouTube, the stacks of stuff you can get out there which can help you Mm -hmm. strengthen your weaknesses without you having to write big checks. True. Or give up a huge amount of time. Mm So I I think I'm I'm sort of where Todd is, Mm -hmm. but would say maybe the first thing to do is to critically reflect on where am I weak? How can I I, supplement my weaknesses? Does that require me to go to seminary or or is there an alternative? I I agree completely. Start doing what you can do now. And, and see what doors open in the future, yeah. what, what opportunities open in the future. But, but Carl's absolutely right. The kinds of things that are available, at, literally at our fingertips now, oh, I wish I had that right. in the early 90s when I was in seminary. So, Well, we're really glad that you uh, uh, joined us for this episode of Mortification of Spin. Thank you so much for your questions. Uh, keep them coming. We get great questions from you all, and, and we always appreciate uh, receiving those and we're going to do a little bit better job of, of addressing those more often so so keep them coming we would love for you to visit our website mortificationofspin.org uh, you'll find various things periodically to register to win and we like to give away gifts you'll also be given an opportunity to contribute uh, mortification of spin is a listener supported podcast and if you would like to support the alliance of confessing evangelicals as they provide these opportunities, uh, then uh, we'd love for you to consider that. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Todd Pruitt signing off for Carl Truman and Amy Bird. Isn't there a peanut butter jelly time? Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly <laughs> what is that? Time. You never heard that? No. It's peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Way yeah, way yeah, way yeah, way yeah. There you go. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... I wanted to open the book by showing the many things that are valuable when mm-hmm. we have a common standard. It didn't have to be the King James, and mm-hmm. God's providence ended up, ended up being the King James. Then move on in the rest of the book to question the value of continuing to hold this translation as the standard. Mm-hmm. That interview is next time. Join us then.
What about a music for that one? Music. I was thinking of the theme tune to Mission Impossible from the 60s. Oh, yeah. There you go. We there played that go. while people were being seated at our wedding. No. <laughs> oh, my oh, goodness. Man. You'll be having a celebration of life when you <laughs> die. <I> mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on, crowd. You've got to have some fun. <laughs> no, I'll, you I'll don't. Preach a, I'm going to preach a funeral sermon, Amy. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm actually not planning to die. Life is a veil of tears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's gone, but life must go on. <laughs> <laughs> the show must go on.